0: This week on the Montana Mint Sports Podcast, I'm joined by new basketball writer Brian Marceau and Mike from the Grizz Fan Podcast. We are here to talk Big Sky Conference basketball and the upcoming game between the Grizz and the Cats down in Bozeman. Before we get to the pod, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Finland Hotel in the great city of Butte, Montana. As you know, every week we talk about the Finland. We talk about how fun it is, how great the Cavalier Lounge is. You're crazy if you're not staying there. Cavalier Lounge has a smooth operator, which I'm a big fan of, uh, and great musical acts coming through uh, regularly. Check out their Instagram, check out their Facebook page to find out what's coming up next. And if you're ever going to be in Butte, be sure to book your room at finlen.com. St. Patrick's Day is coming up quick. You don't want to miss out. Check out Finland.com, F-I-N-L-E-N.com. Let's go. <laughs> to laney lou and the bird dogs for playing us in they play us in play us out every week we are here for a special non-football version of the montana Mint sports podcast we promised you that we do these and here we are hot take nate is on one of his many annual vacations so it's just me bear tycoon with some very special guests who i'm about to introduce uh, we are about 10 games into the Big Sky Conference basketball play, and we wanted to get uh, some of the best minds in Big Sky Conference basketball on the line. Uh, in a, kind of a crossover episode, it's like when Steve Urkel joined the cast of Full House for an episode, we have Mike from the Grizz Fan Podcast here. Mike, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Rory. How are you?
0: Oh, great. So happy to hear your voice, my man. And it's like when Cousin Cody joined the cast of Step by Step. We're bringing a new character into the pod, the Montana Mints, new basketball rider, Brian Marceau. How you doing, man?
2: Doing well. Good to be here.
0: Real good to have you guys. Um, So we're going to be talking some big sky hoops. Uh, I know a lot of us are kind of following. um, We're happy to see the the Grizz doing well. I'm sure the Cat fans are happy to see uh, themselves on the top half of the standings. you know the reason we want to get you guys on. Um, not only are we halfway through conference play, but we are less than a week away from the first matchup between the mighty Grizzlies and the Montana State Bobcats, which will occur next Saturday in Bozeman at seven o'clock tip. Um, it's been kind of a weird year in college basketball overall, uh, but the Big Sky Conference is about where we thought they'd be. Um, they are ranked 26 out of 32 in terms of the uh, uh, all the Division One conferences um big sky conference is expected just to get one team into the march madness tournament with the auto bid uh that's going to be determined by the winner of the conference tournament at the end of the year montana sky high expectations coming into the season they have not really lived up to those but they're still ranked the highest when it comes to the ken palm rankings uh and are presumably the favorite to win the conference at the end of the year but uh there's a few surprising teams uh also towards the top including northern colorado Brian, you've are now writing. you now uh, written three articles for us, breaking down the Big Sky Conference into tiers. Um, if you're not getting those, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at montana mintcom uh, Get our uh, basketball coverage and other sports coverage in your inbox about once a week. Um, so your most recent article came out this Thursday. We're recording this on Sunday, January 27th. Why don't we just kind of go through the tiers that you released um, have a discussion overall on, on the state of the Big Sky Conference. And then uh, we can get into a little more detail about what to expect on Saturday uh, between the Cats and the Grizz. Um, so for the bottom tier, let's, let's talk about this in a in a structured manner, fellas. Uh, the bottom tier, we can kind of group these into two teams. Sac State and Portland State, which we can spend about 30 seconds uh, talking on the two of them. And Brian, you're a big Vandals fan. Idaho also found themselves in the bottom tier of your rankings. So let's start off with Sac State and Portland State. Brian, from what you've been watching this year, what uh, if you happen to find yourself watching either of these two teams play, which players should people be looking for? What are kind of the bright spots of the season for for these two bottom dwellers?
2: So for Portland State, who to me is probably the best out of the bottom tier. Uh, the player to watch for them is preseason All Big Sky Pig, His name's Holland Woods. He's their point guard. He's a sophomore. He's been essentially the the definition of up and down basketball play for the Big Sky. Um, in that, you know, if you watched Portland State play Montana, you know, he had the game of his career, scoring twenty eight points on eleven shots. Uh, if you watch only that game it'd be easy to think that Portland State has the best player in the conference. Uh, But in conference playing, those are the stats I try to stay fixated on. Uh, He is Portland State's only guy who averages double figures. He shoots almost 13 times a game at 35% from the field. That's not from three, that's from overall shooting. Shoots about four and a half threes a game, makes 23% of those. Uh, He's one of the top guys (laughs) in assists per game He averages 5.6, but he also turns the ball over five times. If that is your best player, and he is a good player, uh, but if your best guy is not the typical up and down we see from some players, this is extreme up and down. Um, It's hard to be good, uh, but that's also part of why Portland State, you know, they just won two games in a row. Uh, It was against Eastern and Idaho. Uh, The Idaho game is pretty bad. but if that's your best player, you know, it's, it's just tough to be good. If you look at the rest of their roster, they don't have another guy who averages double figures. So in terms of Portland State, I mean, it's really Holland Woods. Um, and as long as he gets enough shooters to make some shots, they've got a chance. Um, they play at a fast pace, but they actually don't score that efficiently, and they certainly don't defend that well. Um, I like the Portland State picture a lot better than Sacramento State. Sacramento State is upperclassman heavy. And aside from when they're playing Idaho... Uh, it's pretty ugly. Uh, You know, their best player is a point guard. He's a senior. His name is Marcus Graves. He's coming off a knee injury, I believe, last year, which, you know, you could expect a kind of slow start. But this is another example of their leading scorer. uh, Yeah, averages 17 points a game, shoots 15 times a game, and shoots 38% from the field. Um, That number's up pretty significantly in the last two weeks when he's had a few games shooting around 50%. Heading into the article i wrote this week he had been shooting around 30 he he shot 31 percent before the article i wrote then he had like two okay games and that pumped his percentage up to 37 without actually playing that well Um, they have a junior he's a center named josh patton who he averages 14 but that's inflated a bit by scoring 36 against northern arizona uh, where he essentially won the game on on his own but this is another team against upperclassmen heavy um I don't see a ton of bright spots in that they have, you know, juniors and seniors who are, they're just really not doing that well. You know, they've got a, the, the number three player in terms of shots taken on their team's point guards His name's Isaiah Mario Uhu Leafa. Uh, he averages 9.6 shots a game. He's their shooting guard, and he shoots 28% a, from the field. Uh, great pronunciation.
1: Yeah, I'm impressed with that.
2: Yeah, um, but again, like their number three scorer shoots twenty eight percent from the field on ten shots, it's tough to be good.
0: That is tough to be good. Uh, You mentioned Portland State won both games this uh, since the articles come out. They're three and five before going into the Thursday Saturday of this weekend. They were one and five with the one coming in Missoula against the Grizzlies in an overtime win. Mike, I don't know if you were at the game, but you're certainly watching the game. What did you see out of Portland State in that awful, awful uh, Grizzly loss?
1: I mean, nothing. I was there,
0: and uh,
1: (laughs) Portland State had no business being in that game. I mean, the, the Grizz, for as good as they are, and I would say the expectations are fair because they are good. But they have a real problem playing bad teams. They don't get mentally up for it. And they also seem to have a problem, and this has repeated itself even last night against Weber, where they'll they'll stymie teams defensively and get out to a lead, and then they'll kind of get lackadaisical. The defensive effort will fall off. They'll be taking bad shots, and teams will get back in it. And Portland State was just a train wreck, and you could see it coming. And I just, for the life of me, I mean, yeah, the one guy was on fire, and he had a career day, and... You know, you're going to have that, but they had no business. I mean, they're bad. I'm I'm not going to excuse that as like, oh, they came in and gave their best effort and beat a good team. That shouldn't happen, and that can't happen. So um, the other team, Sac State, you know, I mean, they are who they are. The only kind of saving grace, I guess, it's kind of weird, is after Portland State beat Montana, they te- they took Weber State to overtime. So it's kind of like what, you know, I mean, maybe they caught magic in a bottle there for a couple di- couple games. But... Um, I'm not impressed with them. I mean, I you know I know that sometimes yeah. sometimes I need to be the bigger guy and give credit to the other team, but no, I the Grizz lost that game. Portland State had no business being in it.
0: I think that's right. I think that you know Brian, you've you've ranked these guys towards the bottom, and in each of your rankings, and it's it's a deserved ranking. Neither of them's that that uh, impressive, though. They have snuck in a couple W's here and there. The Grizz will end the season. The regular conference, the regular season for the conference at Portland State and then at Sacramento. So we'll get to see these guys uh, again in early March. Um, the other team in this bottom tier, Brian, you're a big Vandals fan. Uh, it's your Idaho Vandals. They are one and seven in conference, four and fifteen overall, I think kind of unquestionably the the worst team this year so far in the Big Sky Conference. I have almost zero thoughts to contribute on the state of the Idaho Vandals, but how about we give you, you know, 45 seconds to tell us what the hell is going on with this team?
2: So I spend about 45 to 60 minutes each week talking about the Vandals uh, for the Touch the Club <laughs> podcast. So I, I can go on in depth. Um, so <laughs> the macro picture is the team is freakishly young. Uh, we have one junior total who plays, and the returning sophomores from last year. Played minimally, um, so there is some expected learning curve, uh, no question. But the short of it is, our best player who had a huge game against Montana. His name's Trayvon Allen. He's a mid-range player, which means that there's a very narrow margin of error for him to continue to be effective. You know, against Montana, he he had to have one of his best three-point shooting nights of the year. It was shot crazy. And, Light- yeah, he. Yep. He shot four of seven on threes against Montana, 10 of 18 for the field for 24 points. He doesn't get to the free throw line at all, and that's a feature of the mid-range game. It's kind of like Ahmad Rory. Rory does not shoot free throws because his game doesn't take him to the rim, uh, which means if he's your leading scorer um, on the offensive end, he has to shoot like around 60% for that to work. Um, the other The other part is we have two freshmen who look like they could be good you know, Cameron Tyson against Montana scored eight points real fast. Uh, and then he didn't score for the rest of the game. He's an elite shooter. He's had six or more games where he's made four or more threes, but he can't create shots. And Idaho doesn't treat him like the Idaho JJ Redick, where we run a ton of plays for him. We just essentially run an offense and hope he gets shots is what it looks like for me, and I watch all the games. And uh, then we have one more forward who's kind of, a dude, he's kind of a jack of all trades, but master of none at this point. Uh, who averages almost 10 points, just below 10 points in conference, around six rebounds. It's a huge drop-off in conference after the top three. Uh, We, most of the time on offense, are playing close to three on five uh, because we don't have shot creators. We don't have posts who can get easy points. We still try to post, uh, which if you have a post who's not great, and you post them up. What you did is manufacture a contested shot uh, we still do that, clock the lane for our guards. You know, we, we have such little wing, so we have such little forward and center depth. We have a total of two centers and a total of two forwards that are not wings or guards, but on the entire roster, um, at least one of them was supposed to be a redshirt. He's, and the reason he's supposed to be a redshirt is because he's a good athlete, but he's raw. And I I don't mean that euphemistically. I mean, he can make he's a forward who can make putbacks and sometimes wide open threes. He should have been red shirting, but there were injuries. We almost always have a three guard lineup, often a four guard lineup if we have foul trouble, but we don't play like the Brian Fish at Montana State spread offense. Uh, we we don't shift in that regard. Um, so at the offensive end, um, I think we sometimes make things harder for ourselves, but on the defensive end, man, we're bad. Um, we give up easy shots. We get killed on second chance point, Second chance points, we get killed in points in the paint. We get killed, and this, this stuff's every game. We get killed on surrendering points off of turnovers, which are almost always easy points. Um, and then, you know, just as a reference point, I like to sometimes, in the article, I reference offensive and defensive rating uh, because I think it's a simple analytic stat. It's, it's a points per offensive rating is points scored per 100 possessions, defensive rating is points allowed for 100 possessions. It, it factors yep. in pace. To how well a team plays on either end in conference, Idaho does not have a single game with a defensive rating below 100, and 100 is kind of the Mendoza line for being okay at defense. We haven't been there once. Not it. So, like, if well, we're... I
0: mean, I think that's reflected in your in your record, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what you would probably expect out of a team that's one and seven in conference.
2: But yeah, like against Weber State. Like, we've had moments where we look okay. Um, at this point, now we appear to be regressing. But against Weber State, uh, we had an offensive rating of 124. That's huge. That, like, if Montana played a team with, a, with an offensive rating of 124, you guys would likely be saying, what, how come they can't guard anyone? What's going on? Well, we had a defensive rating of 132. I don't know if I'll ever see a defensive rating of 132 for the rest of my life. <laughs>
0: Um, well, things, things seem to be uh, pretty, pretty rough in Idaho. W- w- give me some perspective on, like, obviously football reigns supreme in Montana. Uh, in terms of the University of Idaho fans, like, where is the, enthu- in, in a normal year where both teams are, say, uh, average or above average, where is the enthusiasm levels between uh, kind of football and basketball?
2: There is no question that Idaho considers itself a football school. Um, you know, for basketball, last year when we were second in conference, we, we didn't have a single sellout. We had two games with pretty big attendance. We had, you know, our, our current gym holds almost 6,000 people. We're gonna have a new basketball-only facility in a couple of years, which is great news for us. Uh, but right now, we don't have that. We have a dome that converts to a basketball facility. Um, last year, when we finished second place, when we played Washington State, we had about 4,300 fans once, which is like 85% capacity, which felt huge. And then when we played Eastern, we had about 3,000, which is still not even 60%. And those were our those were our best showings in a year. We finished second in conference. Uh, whereas in football, like if you went to the University of Montana game, yeah, you know, we were we were bad last year in football. Um, we were at about ninety-five percent capacity of a sixteen thousand person dome um, on a usual game. Yeah,
0: I think Nuge was there, right, Mike? You were at the game. Yeah, give
1: us false hope that the Grizz were turning a corner. Um, but you know, the, the basketball the attendance days. thing is is interesting because the Grizz have, are in the midst of a decade plus of really competitive basketball with Coach Kostoviac, the Coach Tinkle, and now Coach Dakir. Um you know made the tournament several times, and it's been kind of back and forth with weber and and I don't remember the last time Grizzly basketball sold out the arena. The last home game, even for Cat Grizz, wasn't a sellout now there was fifty five hundred there last night, and that's good, but I think college basketball as a whole is just not getting the attendance that it used to get. I don't know what that what the symptom or what the cause of that symptom is, but it's interesting nonetheless, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think at least part of it is in Montana. People are willing to drive a long distance to go to a football game, and you do not have that same enthusiasm um, from out, of, you know, out of Missoula County, out of Gallatin County interest in in the two teams, right? Like, I don't think there's a lot of people driving over from Great Falls to Missoula for for any game besides maybe Grizz.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, thirty thirty five years ago, they used to fill out to fill up the Adams Center when it was larger. They get 8,000-plus, and Missoula was half the size. So it's like something's changed there overall. But, you know, football's also hard to compare because I think we'd all agree that a football game is an event. Like, you're going to the Vandals game on Saturday, whereas a basketball game is kind of something you do in your day.
0: Yep. Well, in football, it's like it's on a Saturday. You know, you have kind of the full weekend ahead of you, like after the game ends, uh, where basketball – can come any day of the week, uh, uh, including, I noticed a weird, uh, scheduling, uh, item involving the teams in our next tier. So why don't we, we jump ahead to them, Brian, this is your, the, that if we're not bad, then what are we tier? Uh, it includes Northern Arizona, Idaho state, Eastern Washington, and Southern Utah. I'm looking at the schedules now uh, for Northern Arizona. They are playing Southern Utah tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Or, I'm sorry, at noon. A noon tip-off mountain time uh, against Southern Utah. It it's, it's a weird weekday afternoon game. Um, I, I'm not sure the reason behind it. But also on ESPN, they're saying that the lowest ticket... Is thirty seven dollars to this game, which I find extremely huh. hard to believe. Not a chance um, that, that you would have to pay any amount of money to see this at noon on a Monday. Um, I don't have a ton of thoughts on on these four teams. I don't know if we need to go through them individually, um, but let's kind of take them uh, as a whole. Brian, again, looking at kind of these four teams. The lumberjacks, Idaho State, Eastern Washington, Southern Utah. Uh, out of those four, like which players jump out at you as someone worth tuning into? Like if you have nothing to do one night, flip on the Pluto TV app and check out one of these teams playing. Who are the players that you are most excited to see?
2: So all four teams are really close. To they're just different stylistic versions of the same thing to me, which is. They're a group of guys who are solid, but there isn't a first-team, all-Big Sky talent on any of those rosters combined. Um, they're all like a piece away from being pretty good. Uh, to me, the guys that jump out are Mason Peatling at Eastern Washington, who I've watched him play, and he's, he's one of those guys who, when I look at his box scores, You know, when I wrote the article, he was right, averaging 18 points per game on 59% from the field, uh, which is incredible. Um, I mean, he's a post, so he shoots close shots, so he should have a higher percentage, but um, 18 points on essentially 60%, you know, 18 points on less than 12 shots a game, that's great, but when you watch him play, he doesn't jump off the screen at you. You know, like when Montana lost to Eastern in a game that was essentially Eastern making everything, uh, from deep, where Eastern shot, but it was either 53 or 56% from three. Uh, Pete Ling didn't stand out as this guy who was just killing Montana, though, you know, Cody did get in foul trouble. There, there's some stuff to get into. But anyway, uh, Pete Ling is Mason Pete Ling. He's a junior forward, so he'll be back next year. He's a guy who stands out to me from Eastern. There's really no one to me that stands out from Idaho State. I've watched him a few times. Uh, they have a lot of solid shooters, uh, but, you know, their point guard. Uh, Brandon Boyd was the guy who, it, going into the year, people probably thought was going to be their best All Big Sky candidate, and he's another guy like I talked about with Sac State and Portland State, where you know if he's if that's your best player, who when I wrote the article he was averaging less than twelve points, uh, sh- shooting below forty percent from the field, shooting eighteen percent from three in conference. It is just hard to be good if your best player is a guy opposing coaches would likely say just based off of box scores, it'd be great if this guy shot it 20 times a game. Um, The other guy who I'd pay attention to, one, Northern Arizona, it's hard to pick a guy. If you look at their box scores, they have essentially a a different guy leading them in scoring every single night. Um, So if you are not a huge Northern Arizona fan, I'm sorry, I just can't differentiate um, a team that, when I wrote the article, they've had someone score 20 or more twice the entire year, uh, the entire conference year. Uh, there's just no one who's. Yeah, one that. of
0: those was Carlos Hines against the uh, against the Grizz when they played earlier this year. I guess at the end of 2018.
2: Yeah, um, and he, you know, he's a solid point guard in terms of like he's towards the top in assists as well. Uh, but Northern Arizona is also pretty young. You know, their top two contributors are sophomores. The rest of their contributors are juniors. Um, you know, they'll they're returning essentially everything next year. So I, I think they'll be a team to watch next year, but. Uh, Again, there's no one to me that I just look at Northern Arizona and I'm like, oh my god, this guy is just killing it. And then for Southern Utah, they lost a former top 25 recruit to a shoulder injury earlier in the year. They were awful to start the year out. They appear to at least kind of ride at their ship. Um, Their best player at this point looks like Cameron Aluyatan. He's a junior guard. He's a transfer from Boise State in conference. At the time of the article, he was averaging 16 points a game on 50% from three.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, this this tier, um, the Grizz have had some success against with wins against everybody. But uh, again, another disappointing loss against Eastern, um, you know, at Eastern Washington on January 10th. Um, Mike, watching you've seen the Grizz play all of these teams now. Is there anything that jumps out at you, um, a non-Grizz angle? Uh, watching these teams. And from my perspective, these are all kind of, you know, it's, it's frustrating that all of these teams will be in the conference tournament uh, because I don't think any of them are that good. But uh, one, one caveat is Southern Utah is one of four teams in the conference with a winning record overall. Sorry, Mike, I started to ask you a question. I started talking. Give us your thoughts on kind of this basket of uh, mediocre teams.
1: Well, I mean, I guess one thing for Brian, and and you can answer it next time you go, but um, I kind of wonder who Southern Utah played to get that non-conference winning record. Uh, The Big Sky for years struggled with teams playing really terrible non-conference schedules. It's gotten better the last two years, Um, so even like some of these teams that have have really bad non-conference schedules might be better than some of the teams that look like they have good ones. so oh, you don't
0: you don't think wins over San Diego Christian are <laughs> are impressive? Exactly. Or West Coast West you know, Coast Baptist.
1: Southern Utah, maybe of the group is the one that's most interesting to me. I mean, they destroyed Portland State. They beat them by like 60. Yep. I know it wasn't that high, but they destroyed them. So it's like you know that there's some potential to kind of give a game there. But, you know, anybody who listens to the Grizz Fan Pod has heard me go off on this conference and the mess that we've created for ourselves. And, um, you know, it annoys me in football, but it annoys me in basketball, too, because it's like you look at NAU, and NAU has this coach. My seats are behind the visitor's bench at um, Grizz Games, uh, which is a, a trouble place to be when you are prone to, you know, shouting what you think and heckling, but... Uh, NAU has a coach named Jack Murphy who's been there for like seven years, and they're terrible. Like if he has even won a third of his games, I mean, he's probably won about a third. Well, I just looked it up. It's 68 and 128 in his seventh season. And it's just like I can't imagine that coach lasting at Montana, at Weber State, at Montana State, at Idaho. And it just makes you wonder what's the commitment of some of these schools to even – actually try and year in, year out, be competitive. NAU will, every couple of years, have a really competitive team just by virtue of where they're at. I mean, they should have a recruiting advantage over almost every other school in the conference, save a few, just by virtue of how close they are to so much basketball talent. And it just never happens. And, you know, you could look at their football program, too, and they just basically for 20 years accepted... 500 football with an occasional good year and in my perfect world montana montana state idaho Weber state and a couple others would branch off and create a real conference of programs that gave a damn because you know i don't think that group would be 26 out of 32 in basketball rankings so it's like my my thoughts on that tier is just i'm sick i'm sick of them even being
0: around yeah i think that's fair and it's it's uh it is you know it's the it's the you know constant struggle of being a of a bobcat and grizzly fan um and i'd imagine an idaho fan now but uh just seeing there's fan bases that take these sports and these programs and this conference very seriously and then and then you kind of have the n a u s of the world and a few others, um, and it's it's extremely frustrating. I think that's about as much time as I want to spend on on this shithole of a tier. Um, unless <laughs> anyone else has some parting and...
2: thoughts, sure, please. Yeah, so it has to do with the tier. Who like I am? I have no pushback on. I would like it to be a higher performing tier, but uh, coming from a school that. I feel that the big, some Big Sky fans who round us into the top group, I love that they do as an institution. Um, but in terms of performance in the last 20 years, uh, we are not, Idaho has been. You know, in 22 years in FBS play, we had like four or five total winning years. And if you look at the games we actually won, we, in our last two bowl seasons, we beat zero teams with a winning record before the bowl game. Um, so anyway
1: short of it oh opinion, yeah wait, well, I, no, I've no 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 oh, no no part. no uh it, i could i could
0: go, end go end off on of idaho
2: yeah
0: <laughs> didn't both of your bowl games uh, weren't they played in boise
2: all three of our bowl games were played in boise <laughs> Great <Gripped in there. laughs> oh no uh, i
0: mean
1: so don't terrible. get me don't get me wrong like um I love the fact that the Grizz had a winning record against Idaho while Idaho was an FBS team. And that's something you guys will (laughs) never, ever be able to play down for our fan base. Um, But there's a difference between the University of Idaho as an institution and some of these other schools. And so it's like, Yes. yes, I do believe that once Idaho accepts kind of where they're at again, they will be a regular competitor in both football and basketball. You know, this transition and settling and the unknown. And I think that whatever happens in the future, if Idaho stays in this group with Montana and Montana State, whether that's they form a conference that goes up altogether or something different, I think that that's – I think that if they stay with their peers, I think they can be a competitor. So I don't necessarily group them in based on performance, but I group them in based on potential.
2: So. Right. What I was.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, you know, I think it's kind of like with with North Dakota, right? I mean, they were a great addition. I liked having them in our conference just because they had a decent fan base that had certain expectations. That um, you know, we always talk about with NAU. We tried to figure out what happened to Case Cookis for months, um, their starting quarterback, and it, nobody was reporting on them, and the fan base wasn't tweeting about it. Like it's just a a whole different ball game. Um, but that's that's a conversation for, for another day. Uh, let's move on. Uh, this is a, a tier. We finally have one of the Montana schools in it. This is the second highest tier, and, and perhaps a bit of a surprise where the Bobcats rank, but this is the is-it-okay-to-be-excited tier. It includes Northern Colorado, who has the top record in the conference, and Montana State. Um, let's just start with Montana State, um, is a, a little more exciting than than the than the Bears of Northern Colorado. Um, Brian Nuge, what are you feeling with Montana State? They are five and four in conference, a pretty uh, lukewarm eight and eleven overall. Um, are they really a threat to uh, do any? make any noise in the conference? What what are your overall impressions uh, on this Bobcat roster and team?
1: Well, I'll let Brian kind of give you know the statistical breakdown because he's so much better at that than I am. Um, but I would say anecdotally it's the first year in the fish regime where it feels like they at least have a chance to be competitive every night. You know, they've got one of the best players in the history of the Big Sky Conference at Tyler Hall. He broke the scoring record recently. Yep. And you just wonder why they aren't better. And then the next year they had, you know, Harold Frey come in and he was the the uh, freshman of the year, but then he regressed last year. But he's back playing really well this year. So, I mean, I think they can give anybody a game. I just, it, it does amaze me that in year, I think, five of Coach Fish in there, they're not more consistently Good than they are. But I think Brian could speak to that whole reality of where they're at better than I can.
0: Yeah, Brian, you know the analytics and kind of the, the real stats behind this team. Tell us what you think of the Bobcats.
2: So in terms of a, the Bobcats' floor of the top four teams, to me, there's no question they have the lowest floor. Uh, and that's mainly because the, of the top four teams that they are bad on the defensive end. Um, they're good games on the defensive end, which were against Southern Utah. Talk about results uh, that any fan could observe. Be like, hey, they look okay. Um, they play their defensive numbers against Southern Utah and against Sac State and Idaho. Are their only conference games with defensive ratings below one hundred? But they've five times had defensive ratings above one hundred ten, which is huge. That's surrendering more than an, a point per possession. Uh, against Eastern and Weber State, they lost both those games. They had 119 as their defensive rating. In a win against Idaho State, they had 115 as the defensive rating, which what that translates to is it is hard to persistently have a defensive rating that low if you are not giving up some combination of easy points via penetration, easy points via second chance points or turnovers, or open, or teams are able to find the shots they want off an open threes against whatever the defensive scheme you run is. Um, And to me, Montana State, I mean, you watch them, um, you know, they gave up 84 points to Idaho State. Now they won by 20, because they had an offensive rating of 142.5, which is freakish. Um, They have some shooters on that team. They have some guys who can score. But part of why, if you look at their win-loss in conference, They still don't have what you'd call a good win. Um, The Southern Utah win at the start of the year was a blowout, but Southern Utah, you know, you guys went over um, how their wins in non-conference, aside from they did beat Seattle U uh, before their best player, Dwayne Morgan, went down. Um, But Southern Utah was kind of, they kind of face-planted into conference play. They look a little more solid than the team that Montana State beat by 30 to open the conference then the, you know, three of the next four wins for Montana State or Portland State, Sacramento State, and Idaho, and we've gone over how all those teams are essentially train wrecks right now. Um, Now, the good news or the reason why Montana State is, you know, not awful is they are one of the most – I I don't think of them as the best offense, but I think of them as kind of an electric offense um, in that they're fun to watch. You know, they spread the floor. They don't have posts inhibiting penetration. You know, in conference, Tyler Hall is averaging 21.8 points a game on 47% from the field. He, he's shooting 39% on threes on almost 10 three attempts a game, which again, that's an, an incredible metric. It's great to see he's rebounded. Yep. P- uh, part of like part of the Montana State story is the Tyler Hall story, which is you know, as uh, to try to put Tyler Hall into 20 seconds. He he had his best career season as a sophomore. Um, after his sophomore year, you know, people were talking about him as like the next CJ McCollum. And as a mm-hmm. sophomore, his his box scores are a lot different than they are now. You know, he averaged five free throws a game as a sophomore. A person who averages five free throws a game, that is typically someone who's they they aren't just really a catch and shoot player; they're penetrating as well. Um, you know, in his in his seasons, other than his sophomore year, his free throws are all around three per game, um, which is more in line, I think, with who he is. And if you watch him play, he's an elite shooter. He's definitely the best, uh, to me, volume shooter in the conference. Um, but, but you know, he he's not the same dynamic offensive guy that, let's say, Tyler Harvey was at Eastern Washington in 2014-15 when Tyler Harvey was a second-round draft pick by the Orlando Magic. Um, you know, Tyler Hall's go-to move to create a shot is a step-back three, um, and it, that's not a put-down. It's just that's the type of player who, when he's having a good night, it actually doesn't necessarily make the op, make the other players on his team have better offensive nights. Or it doesn't mean they get easier shots up. Um, you know, and Harold Frey to me is not their best offensive player. He, but he's to me no question their most important offensive player uh, because he is their guy yeah. who. Will penetrate, get to the free throw line. When Harold Frey has a good game, he's often getting you know five and six assists, which translates to if Harold Frey is having a good game, other guys are getting looks where they're in better mm-hmm. position to do well. Um, and
1: you know nothing, nothing you just said about Tyler Hall would be surprising to anybody who's paid attention to that team at all. I wouldn't think even Cat fans, if they were honest with themselves, because you're right. I mean, he's had, he's had this run of three years of being considered this great player but he hasn't made the team around him better and it's that's an interesting observation but i definitely and i think that based on what you just said you'd agree with it tyler hall was a better pro pro prospect after his sophomore year i think that he should have transferred somewhere else if he wasn't going to go pro because i think that he he's regressed and maybe not regressed but he hasn't like his he found his ceiling quicker than other people but that's just my opinion
2: yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, you know, that's kind of this is an NBA topic. Um, but one of the beliefs a lot of people sometimes have about people leaving earlier coming back is that if they come back to school, there's this ceiling they haven't accessed. But generally speaking, the guys who come, a lot of guys who come back, their stock doesn't improve. It's because there's there are real athleticism limitations to them on whether they really do have a second step, like with Tyler Hall. Again, he he's gonna he's gonna make money playing basketball somewhere. He has a jump mm-hmm. shot that may um at some point in his career put him on an NBA roster. But there's often a uh, an expect an expectation of linear progression when we see a guy do well as a freshman sophomore and we think, wow, wait till he's a junior senior. Um but I mean you're right. The part of why Hall looked like he hit a ceiling is look he doesn't have a 40 inch vertical and he can't there's no way he can work himself into a 40 inch vertical um his shooting numbers this sophomore year are just some of them are just higher um, than they had been until he's having a good season this year um but you know in terms of pro you know his you know pro prospects i i don't disagree with that whatsoever but part of it is because there's less tape for people to find out what his limitations were um But again, it's just weird to talk about a guy who he has the record for conference scoring uh, for a reason. He's good. Um, But Montana State hasn't been good with him. And it's a mix of, uh, to me, I mean, the the huge thing is he needs to have good guys around him. And he has some solid guys around him this year, no question. You know, Harold Frey to me is a third team or is probably a third team big sky type of talent. Uh, Kelgen Blevins is starting to pick it up. He started conference play real slow. Uh, but he's averaging around 12 a game in conference. He's starting to look like a nice, solid third wing. Um, but, you know, part of it is how they play. Uh, and part of it is because the teams above them aren't just okay. They're, they're actually good. Um, it's really hard to compete with the University of Montana and Weber State when, you know, if you look at those starting lineups compared to Montana State, uh, four of the five best players on the floor are on Montana and Weaver State in my mind when those two teams play, uh, which just means if Montana if Montana State can't guard those teams, which they haven't been able to, their route to beating them is they have to hit a ton of threes, which they can do sometimes. But it's also why you can look at their you know at their win loss record in conference and they don't have a bunch of wins against the better teams in the conference. They've racked up all their wins against the teams that are in the bottom two tiers for me. Um, I, I think Montana State's unequivocally better than them, but I do think they're definitely something less than Montana and Weber State and likely Northern Colorado.
0: And so I think it, one way to frame it might be that they are the the best of the bad teams. And this year in the Big Sky Conference, there may be like seven or eight bad teams. And when it comes to kind of that upper tier you have two teams montana and weber state um could you make an argument that northern colorado is also in that top tier and then everybody else is just below them and the bobcats happen to be the best of kind of this
2: uh the you know the worst of the big sky so the the reason i have i think of northern colorado as a little bit greater than montana state but i i do not think northern colorado is a real threat to Montana or Weaver State without Montana or Weaver State no showing. Um, you know, if you watch the, if you watch yeah. Northern Colorado, I mean,
1: yeah, Northern Colorado got destroyed by Montana in Northern Colorado. I, it's all about perspective of who they played.
0: Yeah, the, the yeah, that's 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 a fair point, point. Um, and it's not. But I mean, the other. Side to that, it's not like Northern Colorado has a good home field or home court advantage in any sport. Um but I I think you're right, despite their record, I mean they are eight and two in conference, which puts them in first, fourteen and seven overall, with it which is nothing to to you know to downplay. Um but they just have not a great resume of of a non- non-conference play I guess they had a win I'm looking at their schedule now they had wins over uh, at Wyoming at Denver um, like opponent in that they beat uh incarnate Word like the Grizz and they also won against Pepperdine um, you know those schools like they they seem like they should be decent schools but that is just based on perception and and going back to perception I know a lot of uh, Bobcat fans have kind of hung their hat on when it comes to non-conference play like oh well we we had that win against washington state no. which is a big big time program like if you're no. not following college basketball closely <laughs> no. no but if you're not following college basketball closely it's like oh yeah that's a nice win washington state but then you go and look at the rankings the ken palm rankings and washington state is ranked 204 yeah Whoa, washington state not a is good, terrible they're not a good team But just kind of having that big school, big conference uh, uh, credentials behind them, it it makes it seem to the casual fan that that might have been a good win for the Bobcats, but they're ranked about 100 spots behind Montana when it comes to the, the Ken Palm rankings. And it's not a, you know, one of the Bobcats wins you can't forget was against Presentation College. Which is an NAI school out of South Dakota, so even the one win that they kind of tout non-conference doesn't look as good once that like you take a closer look at Washington State. Um, and then there's also this win against a school that I didn't had never heard of until the Bobcats played them earlier this year. Uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on Northern Colorado, Montana State before we get to, I think, the tier we all want to talk about, at least Mike and I want to talk about.
2: Yeah, so Montana State, um, again, this is why, to me, it's not hard to put them as a tier lower than both uh, Northern Colorado and the combination of Montana and Weber. In non-conference play, yeah, you know, I had Montana rated pretty low, uh, partially because they're two best players. You know, we've talked about them, Tyler Hall and Harold Frey. In non-conference against you know, stronger teams, those guys combined to shoot around 27 times, and they hit about 38% of those which the translation of that to me to conference play is those two guys, good teams can take them out of their game. Um, it's, it's not like those two guys were carrying Montana State to success in their uh, honestly hard non-conference schedule. Um, Harold Frey and Tyler Hall w- were struggling before conference play started. Um, they picked it up, but again, there, there's some caveats to throw in there about the competition. Um, I of course I do think they're good. I'd love to have both those guys on Idaho, um, but if the question for Montana State is, "Hey, why aren't we viewed as like a threat to win the league?" Well, this is why we we have evidence that the best players for the team can be taken out of their games by good teams. And to put just to bring up Northern Colorado real quick, and why I have no problem saying they're not in the top tier. Northern Colorado has no bad losses, which is in conference, which is great. In terms of understanding what their floor is, but they were having to ride scoring roughly 45 points combined between uh, senior Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis is kind of the big guy's Russell Westbrook in terms of usage, getting 17 hmm. shots a game uh, a game up. He's a he is a great driver, um, and he's what you'd call a serviceable shooter. I mean, he has great shooting percentages this year, but on his career, this is this is an anomaly that he's hitting 42 percent of his threes he had like 26 percent last year he hit like 24 percent the year before and then they have a freshman Bodie hume who's averaging 13 now in conference he had been averaging 17 those two until the last few games were averaging a combined around 45 points per game and that's what they were writing to win they are not getting much production from anyone else you know they have a. Uh, there's a huge drop-off to their third score where I'm 7.6 points a game, but if you look at the field goal percentage for the guys who play more than 10 minutes a game, uh, you know, Jonah Radevaal is a starter for them, former defensive player of the year. He shoots 28% on eight shots a game in conference. Uh, Trent Harris, is a he's a guard backup for them, shoots 29% on almost six shots per game. Um, the other guys who shoot respectable percentages, mostly shoot from like four feet away. Um, So to me, the reason Northern Colorado isn't going to be moving up in my mind, it'll be very tough for them, is they need a lot of guys to play in a way they haven't through conference play so far. And they also need Davis and Hume to just continue to play incredible. And particularly Hume, who's a great shooter as a freshman. He doesn't create his own shot at all. He shoots nine and a half times a game. 6.4 of them are 3s. What that tells you is, that's a catch-and-shoot player. If you watch them play, he gets open shots because Northern Colorado has some penetrators. But it, if they need 45 points from two players because no one else is producing much, then even if those guys start producing much, Davis and Hume can't actually have their production slip very much for them to still be very good. Uh, so for me, that's why Northern Colorado, I have no reservation saying they're not. Uh, they, they need Weber or Montana to play yeah. poorly for them to win. So I think that, that's Brian, a good point. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead, Mike.
1: I was going to say, quick question for you, and this might uh, ask you to know more about the Bobcats roster than you do, but do you think that the Bobcats are primed to have one of those years where next year they're better without Tyler Hall than this year they are with him?
2: You know, I don't know. Um there's a ton of points, and all shooting well, uh, particularly in conference. There's a ton of points that you lose there. Now, that will change the dynamic of how they play, but you know they lose two of their top three scorers to graduation. Kelgen Blevins, uh, he's yeah. graduating. He's a senior as well. Um, I don't know what kind of players they're going to have you know, coming in via recruitment or via transfer, which is always a huge question like for my Vandals we just landed a four star center transfer from Oregon State um, that could really change things for us next year um, I don't know what kind of movement you'll have uh, there are certainly some solid players returning and it will change the shot distribution and how that team plays so I guess I would say I don't think it's off the table um, but if if I were to make a you know gambling proposition would I feel comfortable in it? No, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying Montana State could be better next year
0: at all. Okay. Well, I I think it just, all of this talk, though, I think it just kind of, again, frustrates me when it comes to the conference tournament coming up, the fact that all of these teams get to participate in the conference tournament, and and teams like Montana and Weber State, uh, who are having good years, or even teams like Northern Colorado, that... May talent wise be lower, but have you know unquestionably racked up some wins. Uh, all they get out of this is is a first round buy, and as Idaho fans can tell you, it kind of sucks when you 're the number two seed and you get knocked off by a fluke number ten seed who uh probably doesn't deserve to be in the conference tournament at the end of the year but let's turn to the oh top no no two no teams. no no
1: no, no, you can't leave that hanging and not let me vent about it. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's hear it. That, let's hear it, man. If if they're gonna event.
1: if they're gonna do this, every team gets to go. They need to make more of a reward for the top two seeds at least, maybe the top four. Totally, but for sure, the top two. And I don't know if it's a two round buy and make the other teams beat the hell out of themselves and play three consecutive nights when they're playing the top seeds in the first, you know, in the in that round. But something yeah. they need to look at something because it's not. It's not really that big of an advantage to play a team that played the day before or got a day off and then is coming in. I mean, I really don't see the, the advantage in, a, in a, a buy for these number ones. It's actually one of the things about this Grizz season that's made me feel a little bit better about, like, well, you know, it really doesn't matter if we get the number one. Because, you know, back when the conference wasn't on a neutral site, getting number one mattered because you got to host it. And that was a big exactly. deal. Exactly,
0: it was a huge and, deal. And I'm not
1: opposed, deal. I'm not opposed to this neutral site, but if they're going to do that, they need to find something to make this conference season matter. Because otherwise, it's just this weird round robin and then we get to go play it out.
0: Yeah. I think the Gris had to I forget who they who did they play in the semis last year that went to overtime?
2: Was that Northern Colorado? Do you
0: remember, Mike? I think it was Northern Colorado.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's just like the idea that, you know, Northern Colorado, I believe, was a a five seed going into it. So under our old tournament, at least back in the day, it was only the top four seeds went to the tournament, right? Like, to me, that seems to be the... And there were playoff games.
1: There were two playoff games earlier in the week with the other ones.
0: Okay, so it was six teams would make it? Yep. Which seems... Like, that seems like a reasonable approach, but no, I think maybe a two by round for seeds one and two, that gives you something to play for. Um, cause again, like we're talking about attendance at basketball games, even with the tournament moving to Boise, like I don't expect there to be a lot of Bobcat or Grizzly fans making the trek down to Boise, regardless of if the Grizz are the number one seed or the number 11 seed. Um, and so it just, it, it takes a, it, The the tournament there's a lot of problems with it, and it hasn't been a huge issue because for us, because the Grizz haven't got bit by a really lower-seeded team. But Idaho last year got beat by a 10 seed in Southern Utah, um, which is just kind of bullshit. So let's uh, let's move and talk about these top two teams: Weaver State, Montana. Montana.
2: About the neutral neutral site. Yeah, yeah. Montana fans should actually be even more irritated to me. It is not a neutral site. Boise is the hub of where University of Idaho Vandal alums move to. So if Idaho's okay at any point, it isn't a neutral site. It's as neutral as if the conference tournament were held in (laughs) Helena. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a good way to think about it.
1: And, And, you know, last point I'll make on this it's just the whole way it's set up, the first round is on the Tuesday. Then everybody gets a day off. Then they do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it's like there's, they give these first-round first, first round games a day off. It just It's crazy. Anyway, let's move on.
0: Yeah, let's move on. We've been dancing around it all night. Um, the top two teams I think everybody would agree with, Montana uh, and Weber State. Montana, out of all the schools, has the highest Ken Palm uh, rankings. They are 119 in the entire country out of, I think it's like 350 schools. Uh, Weber State, 171. So there is a, a decent amount of space between those when it comes to these national rankings. And that was demonstrated last night. The Grizz uh, played Weber State, hosted Weber State in Missoula, um, which was probably the, the best game on paper of the year, in terms of conference play. And they came away with a, with a big win um, I Mike, you were at the game So let's start with you I know it was probably Final score was a little too close um, which, which isn't great But give us your impressions of what you saw last night And what you think about these two teams going forward For the rest of the season
1: I mean, Montana went on a 20-0 run at one point they, they held them scoreless for something like nine minutes. And I remember thinking during that first half of that game, kind of the first half of the first half, that it's like if Montana is playing at their true potential, they're, they're a tier all their own. The, the hope of Weber State is that Weber can disrupt their flow and kind of penetrate their defense and, and, and get them off their game and play with them. And they managed to do that for the last three quarters of the game, if you will. Um, And they kind of chipped back in and and got it down to, I think, got it as close as four or six at one point before Montana, you know, started trading baskets with them. But my biggest takeaway was that if Montana plays how they're capable of playing, they are the best team in the league. And it's interesting because sometimes the guys that transfer – get subbed in and out, there are times that I feel that Timmy Falls should actually get more playing time than he's getting. And then there are other times where it's like, well, he's kind of off his game. But I think that their rotation is really what makes the difference. And Jamara Coe, the last two games, has had, if he's not the big Sky Conference player of the week, then the people who vote on that aren't watching the conference. I mean, he had two massive double-doubles. He had great games the last two games. And if they can get him going inside and it kind of opens up the rest of the field for him, then you got to look out. Um, Montana's problems, and it it happened as the game went on because Weber went on three different runs of, I think, at least eight points. Um, Montana goes cold at bad times has poor shot selection, and they kind of compound each other. And all conference season, with the exception of maybe northern Colorado, Montana has not put a team away. So when the Grizz were up 20 last night, I was thinking, this is going to be less than 10 before halftime because inevitably that's how this Grizz team plays. And it didn't quite get there, but it, it almost didn't. It could have, and then right after the half, it did get to less than ten, because they just—they're allergic to putting teams away. They—they they cannot stomp on anybody's throat. So it's—it's it's going to be interesting to see if that catches up to them again, because it did catch up to them in that back-to-back Portland State, Eastern Washington. But uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, and Weber State. You know, uh, just kind of looking at how it was the first half, second half. Uh, type of game where in the second half Weber State shot 57% from the field um, overall where they were shooting closer to 40% in the first half uh, and the Grizz shot below 40% in the second half overall so it's just it is frustrating to see kind of the inconsistency but uh, from my perspective our best players stepped up and had good games and as long as that continues to happen I think that's all you can really hope for uh, Brian, as a, as a neutral observer, um, did you, one, did you get a chance to watch the game last night? And, and two, what kind of were your takeaways from a tiered ranking approach, um, uh, from the game?
2: So first I managed to not watch the Portland state Idaho game and watch this instead. It was tough. But <laughs> That's <think> probably, <laughs> probably a good decision. <laughs> uh, I, I did choose to watch the conference game of the year over Idaho and Portland State. Um, so my takeaways, um, in a macro sense, Montana has athletes, at least four athletes, that they can play uh, in their, uh, at a time. I in mean, Michael Guinea, Ahmad, Rory, Jamara, coincide Saeed, Pritchett. They have four athletes, af- and then Bobby Moore has a very good defender. He's not a very good offensive player. But... Um, when, with that collection of athletes, as they're starting five, uh, that's a really tough team defensively, um, which to me Montana's identity is, even though they are scoring well, which is great news, because if they're good, they, could be, they should be able to score. Part of why their floor is so high and why their potential to win a conference, an uh, NCAA tournament game, to me is the highest in conference, is because of the athletes they can put out. They have a lot of guys who are power five level athletes. Um, I don't think there's as much overall gap in between these two teams as the 20-point deficit to begin with suggests. Um, I do think we saw some evidence again, and I've seen this a thousand times, that Travis DeCure is a top, top two coach in the conference. Um, it's not really close. Um, you know, Weber State and Montana both have four, four starters on both of those teams eight players total who are all-conference level players. And Montana completely took away Breckett Chapman, who's the second best, uh, likely the second best player on Weber State, but he's their best two-way player. He's a transfer from University of Utah. Um, Chapman did pick up 16 rebounds. But if you watch that game, it would be easy to think Chapman was a wing because he was shooting things like step-back threes. He's a post. He starts at their four he leaves the conference and block shots and he spends a lot of time inside. Um, Montana was able to force him to be a perimeter player and he has a serviceable to solid shot. But if he has to play exclusively as a perimeter player, he is not the all level talent he is otherwise. And, uh, to me, that was, uh, that was Montana's defense. It wasn't, it wasn't like Chapman was having these open lanes and he chose to not take them. Montana didn't give him any good looks. Um, so in, in part, um, Montana schemes great. Now, I don't anticipate the best two way player on Weaver State shooting 20% against Montana in Ogden. Um, the guy still pulled down 16 rebounds. Uh, I'm not trying to obsess over him, but like he's a guy for Weaver State. He's their second best player. And he just didn't produce. Um, and I don't think he just produced because he had a rough game. I think Montana schemed him well. Um, the, you know, the other thing for Montana in terms of being up and down, this to me is actually partially a feature of the offense. Um, Montana, and Travis Akira said this in interviews a thousand times, he, he wants an inside-outside approach. And you know, Jamar Rico is good. He put up 25 points on 17 shots. Um, there's, it's not like it's a poor strategic decision to want to go to him first. But sometimes the lulls we see from Montana to me sometimes it's a product of it's actually hard for their wings to be able to penetrate without running into another defender in a way that's I'm not saying they should play like Montana State but Montana State spreads the floor in a way to make penetration easy Montana has a different strategy but they only have one real good post score so if he is not playing well or if he's in a spurt where he's not scoring a bunch it can make it tough for guys like Rory or Oguine to get to good shots, which to me is part of why we do see lulls in Montana scoring-wise. Uh, but, you know, overall, again, you know, to put this in a macro level, Montana had reasons to look at that game and still say, hey, we won and we still didn't play that great. You know, like Saeed Pritchett shot 3 of 11. Uh, that's a bad game for him. Almond Rory shot 6 of 14, but he started out 5 for 5. You know, so after that, he made one of his final nine shots. Uh, Michael Ogine who's coming off the injury against Idaho he's averaging 13 a game on 8 shots which is incredible for a guard he scored 7 and Montana still still won by 7 in a game that led by 20 so you know if I'm a Chris fan I'm pretty happy if I'm a Weber State fan I look at that and I say um, you know we gotta get more out of Breckett Chapman he can't be a wing who's kind of a post he has to be a post who can make shots but I, his identity is inside the three-point line, and uh, you know Cody John has also been a little bit up and down this year. He started up, he started off the season looking like him and Jerick Harding were the best guard combination in the league. He scored 14 against Montana, uh, which means which represents a solid game, but he's kind of plateaued a little bit relative to the start of big of uh, the Big Sky Conference season. So I guess I'm Weaver State fan. I'm curious how Cody John would respond in a let's say conference tournament game against Montana.
1: I would say, yeah. speaking specifically of him, he was cockier last night than he should have been based on how he played because he he acted like he was the best guy out there. Um, I, you know, I, I think you bring up an interesting point on their offense and the flow because that that makes perfect sense. Like if they if a team could shut down a co, that is absolutely when they start to to press and and some of the guys take bad shots. And I mean, it, it's definitely interesting interesting to watch. You know, a, another thing that was kind of we haven't touched on but was just it's incredible stat is last night Montana outscored Weber State in points off of turnovers 25 to nothing so I mean to give you an idea of their defensive pressure and how they were able to convert that into uh, points I mean that's an incredible stat in my mind 25 nothing
2: and that that's part of who Weber State is and why to me they're floor is lower than Montana. Um, you know, Weber State, we, we referenced the Portland State game where Weber State tried to match Montana in losing two games in a row. Um, the, what kept Portland State in the game against Weber State is Weber State turned the ball over 20 times. Um, this team can do that. Um, and they, it's not just against good competition. It's the, Weber State has their own focus issues at times, but turning the ball over has been a feature of this roster. Um, they also, they, and, they can't guard at the level Montana can, which means their route to beating Montana is they have to play well on the offensive end. And I guarantee Randy Ray will look at, at this game and say, Hey, there's parts that we executed well, but you know, we shot 49% from the field. That's good news. But we turned the ball over 14 times. We can't afford to do that against a team like Montana. And those 14 points lead to easy Montana points that this Montana team needs. When you know we talk about the goals, you know, you're going to see you, a Weber State team can't give them that many easy points off of you know forty yep. turnovers.
1: Yep, I'd agree with that. And you know, one thing to kind of you mentioned, probably both teams could have played better. The the Weber State beat writer at halftime said this could have been way worse. Like the Grizzlies, if they had played up to their potential in that first half they really could have put it away but instead they let it back in so it'll be interesting to watch that matchup i think it's on valentine's day in in ogden
0: yeah there's uh so the grizz will we'll get to the cat game in a second but they go they'll play at montana state on saturday and then have games against idaho a rematch against eastern washington and then on thursday february 14th uh play at Weber State so plan your uh, Valentine's Day accordingly make sure you can get that game on the schedule. Um, Weber State Montana was the best game of the conference of the year. The game that Montana as a state will probably uh, pay the most attention to uh, to this point this year will take place next Saturday as the Grizz go to Bozeman. Do we think I mean obviously the Grizz are going to be favored in this game ESPN has them as a 75% chance. Uh, 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 predictor in terms of winning the game. Um, so, coming from the assumption that, you know, I, let me ask you this question so I don't jinx anything. You know, one, what's your prediction in the game? And then, two, from a Grizzly perspective, what does the outcome of this game need to be in order for you to consider it a success? Uh, Mike, we'll start with you as our resident Grizz fan.
1: Well, I think that to answer your second question first, the, the outcome when you're playing Cat Grizz is is just to get the win. I mean, that is, that's success because the rivalry kind of makes it different. I mean, it's like it's like two high school teams that one's really good and one's bad, but they always get up to play each other. So, I mean, coming out of it with a win is is the expectation. And if it's a two-point win, a one-point win, OT, whatever, the win is still the win and you chalk it up to the rivalry game. Um I, the cats, if they shoot well and they find a way to take a co out, they could beat the Grizz. They've done it once two years ago recently, but um, it's 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 not on the realm of possibility. And and you know, especially because I'm still so raw from that damn football game, I'm just not <laughs> going to. I'm not going to say that the Grizz are going to come out and and blow them away. I think they could, but. Given the way they've played this year, I don't know that I see that. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, and Brian, what do you, what do you think? Again, as a neutral observer, going into into this game, um, you know, what's your prediction? And also, you know, for this to be a a victory for the Grizz, what does the outcome need to be?
2: So these rosters are pretty similar to what we had last year. And Montana won both those games. One game they won by 15. Um, the game in Bozeman they won by 15. The game in Missoula they won by 27. Um, for this to be a close game from the Montana State angle, they're they're going to have to shoot probably 45 to 50 percent from three. By the way, every Big Sky team who's played well against who's beat Montana that's what they've had to do. They just you have to make tough shots. That is how you beat Montana. On the defensive end, you know Weaver State jumping back to that game, Weaver State looks like they tried to cover a co with one guy a decent amount because Weaver State does have two all big sky level posts, and I think the jury's in two big sky all level posts still need to double team Jamariko, uh to not surrender easy points. I, I think Montana State is no question going to try to double him um, and try to make the Montana shooters make open shots, because if, you know, if you double and you can, and co passes out well, and by the way, this is how Montana schemes, you know, if, if you listen to Travis DeCure interviews, he talks about how a good shot for his players isn't necessarily oh, the ball whipping around the three-point line because the players have to catch, then rotate and shoot. To him, a good shot is you're already aligned to the hoop and you just catch and shoot. Those are the types of shots they're going to likely be getting um, if co isn't in foul trouble. And Montana State doesn't have the offensive post presence to, to me to potentially get a Co into foul trouble now. I mean, they could, they may try to see if, you know, through, through switching, they can isolate him and then make him guard a guard. Uh, but, you know, it's also Travis DeCure has access to this information. The teams might try to do that. Uh, that's part of why you don't see a Co on the three-point line on defense very much. Um, So, I mean, Montana State needs to have a few things go in their direction for this to be a game they can win. They've got to shoot well. They need to limit a co. uh, Likely for them, they need a co to pick up dump fouls. Uh, They also need the Montana shooters to not shoot very well. Uh, That's a lot that has to go well for them because Montana State doesn't have the defense that forces teams into bad offensive games. Um, but you know, rivalry game there is, and, and this is a real rivalry. You know, sometimes in the Big Sky, we reference rivalries that are, you know, they're they're more than an average game, but it's not a huge game. The Montana versus Montana State game is something different than Idaho versus Eastern Washington, or Eastern Washington versus Portland State. Um, so you know, there is that little bit of you know potential chaos you can throw in, uh, but I I think this is a, this is Montana's game to lose. I would feel quite safe projecting Montana to leave with a win. All
0: right. Well, we will keep our fingers crossed here at Montana Mint Sports headquarters um, for that outcome. Hopefully the Bobcats don't show up against the Grizz like they did against Presentation College back on November 11th. Uh, the last thing before we end here, I want to give our boy Mike a few minutes to get some football news or thoughts off his chest it's been about uh, probably a little over a month since the last Grizz fan podcast Mike I know that you probably are building up like a little tea kettle so give us (laughs) an update as to what the heck is happening with uh, the Grizz football program
1: yeah well we're going to do another one after the February signing day we just got sidetracked with you know holidays and you know doing stuff that we actually get paid for um (laughs) but uh (laughs) You know, they had a pretty good signing class. It's it's interesting. Um, first of all I think that we, we definitely need to acknowledge the just terribly tragic news last week that one of the Grizz football players took their own life and 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 that's that's a hard thing for you know, I think people to understand, but but I think it's gotta be a harder thing for a team who's used to kind of seeing each other every day and, and kind of not knowing that maybe there was not knowing what was going on in somebody else's life so you know if anybody out there is listening if you need help say something Um, suicide prevention hotline is out there that uh, project tomorrow things like that so definitely i think we need to acknowledge that first and foremost um switching back to to football in general I think that they had a solid freshman recruiting cra- class. I think the transfers that a lot of the Grizz fans hoped that they would just magically find haven't materialized in the same way. They signed a ju- junior college running back that looks like he could be promising, um, but it's not the big name drop down they were hoping for. They got a, um, a Juco O lineman that looks diverse enough to be able to play all five positions. I don't know if he'll win a starting job or not. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. And you know they've had a couple of players leave the team that were to be expected in in the second off season after a coaching regime, or guys who just weren't going to be part of the future, like Ray Green and a couple others. That being said, nothing real exciting has happened to Grizzly football. <laughs> um, I still maintain what I said on the end of Chris Grinfa- Fan Podcast: they're going to be better next year than they were this past season, and um, I think they're going to beat the Cats and Bozeman. So there you go.
0: Okay. That's a, it's a positive note to, to end on. Um, I want to thank both of you for joining here on a Sunday, uh, kind of in the off season to, to talk about this, um, talk about everything that is going on in the big sky conference, Brian, thanks for all of your continued great, uh, coverage of big sky conference basketball. Anyone who hasn't go subscribe to our newsletter or just check out our website. Um, to, to get this, I don't think there's really any other uh, coverage like this out, out there if you're a big sky basketball fan. Um, Mike, good talking to you as well. And I will turn it over to Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs to play us out. Thanks, everybody. If I was in Ram Man.